Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the inaugural Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode one of the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. Before we get started, I'd like to spend a moment explaining exactly who Zeta Cooper was and why she was and is so important. Zeta Mary Cooper was the first known tenured female faculty member in the field of pharmacy. Zeta graduated from the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy in 1897. Zeta not only taught in the field of pharmacy, but she went on to found the pharmacy fraternity Kappa Epsilon, was also a founder of the International Honor Society Rokai, and in an era when the profession of pharmacy was dominated almost entirely by men, she became known rather notably as the grand and glorious lady of pharmacy. I've had the privilege in my career to be the founding executive director and CEO of the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board, also known as PTCB. And I've also had the experience as a leader in the pharmacy profession of being the only woman at the board table or one of two. I feel confident in saying that Zeta also experienced being the only woman in the room in the field of pharmacy on several occasions in over many years. And when I first learned about Zeta and her trailblazing accomplishments, leadership, and innovation, I was truly inspired. I'm pleased to report that Zeta's legacy these days is memorialized in scholarships, national organizations, and an annual leadership symposium at the University of Iowa. But I wanted to take a moment to explain the significance of Zeta to me and to give a bit of context for the inspiration for this podcast. Now, let's talk about a real modern-day Zeta Cooper. Today, I'm so excited to be talking with my longtime friend and esteemed colleague, Dr. Lucinda L. Main. Lucinda and I are going to be discussing many things, including, if you're a pharmacist by chance, how you can broaden your view beyond a fantastic pharmacy degree and open yourself to even broader experiences that may change the world. I'll give you a bit of an introduction of Lucinda and let her tell you in her own words about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. Lucinda L. Main serves as the Executive Vice President and CEO of the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy, AACP. AACP is the leading advocate for high quality pharmacy education, and I'll let Lucinda tell you more about that. Now, I'm very excited to share with all of you that in March 2019, Lucinda will receive the American Pharmacists Association Remington Honor Medal. And she will be the sixth woman to receive this honor over the course of 100 years. Yes, I just said 100 years. The Remington, as the award is known, was first awarded in 1919. And she will be the sixth woman to receive the award here in 2019. Lucinda is a rock star. 
And I can't tell you how, how lucky I am that I can also call her a mentor of mine. Lucinda also has been honored with several other prestigious awards, including the University of Minnesota Outstanding Alumnus Award, the Linwood Tice Friend of APHA ASP Award, and the Gloria Nehemiah Frankie Leadership Mentor Award. Lucinda, thank you for being here with me today. Before we get into career experiences, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, some of your influencers, both pre and post pharmacy school. Well, thank you, Melissa. It is such a pleasure to be talking with you and serve as the inaugural guest on your podcast. It's going to be amazing. Um, and I have to add one other thing about my connection with Zeta Cooper as we get going. And that is, is that in addition to all of the other fabulous things she did, she was a very active member in the earliest days of AACP and, in fact, served as the executive secretary and treasurer of the organization for 20 years from 1922 to 1942 as the essentially sole staff person for the amazing price of $100 a year, U.S., at the time, at the time. But anyway, so I grew up in Connecticut, and people often ask me, well, if you grew up in Connecticut, how did you get to Auburn, Alabama to go to pharmacy school? Well, my shipbuilding stepfather decided that he wanted to move from Groton, Connecticut and to Pascagoula, Mississippi, uh, when I was entering into the 11th grade. Of course, I thought my life was over at that point, but it turned out to be an important change for me in a variety of different ways. I grew up thinking I was going to be a teacher, an elementary school teacher, in fact, since the day I walked out of first grade. And I held on to that until my teen years. But when I had my first experience with the biological sciences, I began to change my thinking. And that naturally, I think, makes somebody think about a health career, health professions career. I didn't, had no interest in being a physician. I had no interest in being a nurse. I knew I wanted to go to Auburn because of encouragement from a friend of mine who had gone a year ahead of me. But it was my shipbuilding stepdad who asked me one day before I went to freshman orientation, have you ever thought about being a pharmacist? And I said, no. I've not thought about being a pharmacist one day in my life. And he encouraged me to go talk to our family pharmacist. Uh, you know, and as an 18-year-old, I had hardly ever interacted with this individual myself. His name is Charles Dart, and he ran a pharmacy in a corner of, of Mobile, Alabama, where we lived. He was a relatively young uh, pharmacist, grad of Auburn, and he could not have been more enthusiastic and encouraging. You'll laugh and your listeners will laugh. He said, oh, Lucinda, absolutely. You know, you go to school for five years, you get out, you make $20,000. Oh, my and I know, I know, $20,000. And this one, will, this one will kill you. And if you want to work part-time when you want to have a family, pharmacy lets you do that too. How many women listeners have heard that line? Yes. And so anyway, I never looked back. I went up to Auburn. I changed my major to pre-pharmacy. I worked hard and got in after my two years of, of minimum pre-pharmacy coursework, graduated with my bachelor's degree in March of 1980, ready to change the world of pharmacy. Wow. You asked too about who my influences were. And obviously Chuck Dart was, was a, a key influencer in that regard. No, my mom was huge. She was a teacher. 
and I grew up knowing that I was going to go to, you know, I was going to graduate from high school. I was going to go to college. I was going to have a career and I was going to have a family because mom had done all of that stuff. And so she was huge. She was my strongest supporter. And then the numerous people in my pharmacy education and postgraduate career who have been uh, remarkable influences on my life are, are probably too long to list because I've been so blessed with so many of those. That's great. You know, I think all of us that um, have been involved in the health professions have some kind of contact with someone out there. And when you mentioned the family pharmacist that you connected with, for me in Illinois, we had a close family friend, Bob Funk, who um, was a multiple generation independent pharmacist and also played a similar role to me. Although, you know, I didn't think necessarily that I would end up doing that, but it was very, very helpful to hear that. I really liked too when you shared with us about changing the world of pharmacy. And I think that's a nice segue then in talking about, you know, where we are today in 2019. You know, you can tell me a little bit more about how you got to where you are today and what it's like being the 2019 Remington Honor Medalist, pharmacy's highest honor. You know, ironically, I got my phone call from Tom Menigan on October 25th. And stunned um, is probably too mild a word to use for what it sounds like when a good friend of mine, Tom Menigan, says, and I'm pleased to share with you, Lucinda, that you will receive the 2019 Remington Medal. As I've said to a number of people who have congratulated me, I'm still pinching myself. And I probably will on through the day of the medal presentation itself in Seattle in March. It's humbling. I have known every Remington medalist since I entered the profession. And that's a byproduct of my involvement in APHA from my earliest days as a student through my days uh, as an elected leader and board member of APHA. And on then when I joined the staff in 1992 and stayed there for 10 years before coming here to AACP, I reflected to my board in November when we met and we were celebrating a little bit about the Remington that the things I'm being recognized for in this award are the priorities that both the APHA board and the AACP board put on my plate in those years that I've been a senior staff member. And so it's not really just my award. It's an award that goes out much more broadly to a whole lot of leaders uh, than me, but they're the, they're the wind beneath my wings. Oh, I love that. I think that is such an important message. And I think the other thing that you shared that's really important for all of our listeners is the length of time of your engagement. And I, I, I'll bet when you first started going to the APHA meetings when you were a student pharmacist and early in your career that you couldn't in your wildest dreams even think about becoming a Remington medalist. But I think it's the sort of the slow and steady that wins the race is so, so important. You know, when you mentioned receiving the, the call from Tom back in October, you know, the way that I heard that you had received the Remington is I got up and checked my phone in the morning, as most of us do, and, you know, was looking at social media posts and saw that Tom had posted on Facebook the press release that you had received the award. And I just want to share with you that I literally, in my kitchen, did a happy dance. I was so excited for you and what it meant for you to receive the Remington. And I think there were 
individuals across the country, you know, and you've talked about that pinching yourself and how humbling that had that same experience related to the work that you've championed over the years at APHA and at AACP and your solid example that has inspired so many of us. So again, I just want you to know that there's so many of us that have you know, publicly reached out to you, but also I think in private that are just cheering you on and cheering on what it means for you to receive the Remington for all of us. So let me tell you how intimidating the following phrases are. Lucinda, congratulations on the Remington. So well-deserved. I can't wait to hear your remarks. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I do think that does set the bar high, but I am very aware that you out of anyone is up for the challenge of preparing those remarks and, you know, leaving a legacy that people will look back on for years because, you know, the Remington lectures are things that people reflect back on and quote in articles and quote in presentations. So I, I know you're up for that. Thank well, you. Well, good. You and I have connected on many things over the years, but in 2016, I was really happy that when I reached out to you and said, hey, we're going to have this inaugural Zeta Cooper Pharmacy Conference at University of Iowa, would you be willing to serve as a keynote speaker? So talk to me, you covered this a little bit as we kind of kicked off, but a little bit about Zeta Cooper and her influence and impact on your career in AACP. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, of course, knew of Zeta Cooper. I was a member of Kappa Epsilon when I was at Auburn. Women at that time were only just being admitted into Phi Delta Chi and Kappa Psi. So I was a KE and proud to be one. And I did earn admission into Rho Chi Honor Society. So in those two um, very early and, and practical ways, she touched my life. But when you invited me to participate in the 2016 uh, Leadership Symposium, it caused me to go into the centennial compendium that we have uh, from 1999 when AACP became 100 years old. And there's a nice little profile of that, of, of Zeta Cooper, of course, in that. And that's when I learned about her sustaining AACP. If you think about it, 22 to 42 was the Great Depression yeah. and World War II. And she didn't have text. She didn't have email. She didn't have a website. She barely had U.S. mail, hardly had a telephone. And, and she kept this organization going through some really challenging times because the profession was in academic chaos at the time. There were still confusing multiple degrees that were being offered by different types of schools of pharmacy. There was a lot of controversy about what a pharmacist should be prepared to do and how they should be prepared to do it. And so when I think about that and I think about how we built on the foundation that she laid, rock solid foundation, there's a part of me that wonders if we would have survived as an organization if she hadn't been the dedicated, passionate leader that she was. And as you said in your introduction, most of the time, including her very first AACP meeting, she was the only woman in the room, in the boardroom, in the whichever room. So we owe an enormous debt of gratitude to Zeta Cooper. And I'm so pleased that the University of Iowa identified her and leadership as an important priority 
and thank you for your coordination and your leadership of that program for the years that followed the 2016 inaugural. Oh, thank you so much. I think the points that you raised are really important, and I was struck and actually paused a little bit when I heard you say women had ju were just being admitted when you mentioned about Phi Delta Chi and some other organizations. And, you know, I think that historical context is really important because when you think about the demographics of our current student pharmacists and the demographics of the profession and the number of women that are involved, you know, people might think, oh, well, there were always women at the table or, oh, they were always able to do whatever. But not that long ago, it was very different. And so, again, I really appreciate you sharing um, your personal history, but then also how important it was you know, for what Zeta did all those years during really turbulent times. And I think those are some good lessons that all of us can use, I think, in the world today. We're living in dynamic times. You know, it can be frustrating, challenging, all of that. And so I think looking back and seeing examples of resilience and grit and moxie that Zeta Cooper for sure had, you know, kind of helps inspire all of us moving forward. You know, Melissa, I have to say, because I, I saw this movie on um, Monday, the new Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, not the documentary. She entered Harvard Law School the year I was born. And I just reflected on how fortunate my birth order was, but how amazing, strong, resilient, dedicated she was, and how supportive, amazingly supportive her husband was. And I think I could say that Zeta Cooper is the Ruth Bader Ginsburg of pharmacy. Yeah, I actually saw that movie over the long weekend, too. And I agree with you. And I, I think those examples were so powerful, you know, for all of us to see. So thank you for sharing that. You know, a thread in that movie and in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life and in Zeta Cooper's life was relationships. And I know relationships have been really important to you in your career in life. And, you know, early on, you were very willing and shared with me about some key relationships, this group called the Fab Five. Can you talk to me a little bit more about um, these amazing women and how they've helped you to get where you are today? I love this story. So, again, it's all about APHA and active involvement in APHA. So I went to my first meeting in 1977, that first national meeting, and was encouraged at that time to run for national office by the president-elect. And I said, man, you are crazy. But things progressed across that year. And when I went back to the 1978 meeting of the student APHA, it happened to be in Montreal, I had met Donna Walker. And Donna was a pharmacy student at University of South Carolina. And we met at the regional meeting of ASP uh, in Memphis in the fall of 77. And once we clicked immediately, I told her that I was being encouraged to run for national office. And she said, well, you should. And I'll be your campaign manager. Oh, so. Don and I went to Montreal, ready for me to run for national office, and Stephanie Phelps was at Samford, the other school of pharmacy in Birmingham, Alabama. I hadn't met her yet, but I helped her and Donna share hotel rooms for that meeting, and so they connected, and Stephanie got on my campaign team. One of the people I was running for president-elect against was a very young pharmacy student, just a, a second-year out of a, a zero five program. So she was a sophomore. Her name was Cindy Ionarelli from, from Duquesne. Cindy and I actually became friends while we were running for office against each other. 
As it turned out, I won the president-elect race. Cindy turned around and became elected vice president of SAFA, which is a position that doesn't exist anymore. And so we were on the ASP executive committee for that first year together. And over that year, Cindy met Debbie Hunt, who ironically was a student at Auburn, but she was a class behind mine. And most people will understand that you don't really co-mingle that much, you know, class to class. So we knew of each other, but we didn't know each other well. So now we had five. And by the time we got to the annual meeting in Anaheim in the spring of 1977, the five of us were like glued together, have been every moment of our professional and personal lives since that time. Our 2019 is our 40th anniversary of being the future five, which we dubbed ourselves because we shared this belief that there were no limits to what we could do individually and collectively to help promote the change that we were hearing needed to happen in our profession in order to fully implement the great things pharmacists were able to do. You know, I have, I've heard pieces of that, but that was so interesting. And I love that you all collectively came together. And I think there's the real opportunity for student pharmacists now at national meetings, regional meetings, um, with social media to stay connected for sure. I think having a group of supportive women in your corner that can cheer you on, you know, I, I smile when I think about Taylor Swift talking about her squad, but, you know, my squad or group of friends, Susan, Liz, April, you know, my friends from college have just been so helpful each step of the way. And sometimes your friends can see dreams that are bigger than you that, that you don't even see yet. So, you know, I really appreciate that you shared and 40 years, that makes me reflect like, you were probably having to call each other on landlines, dial up phones back then. <laughs> Maybe even write each other a letter from time to time. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You know, and those four people have been critical to me at different inflection points in my career. You know, when I was wondering about whether it was time maybe for a change, those are the kind of conversations professionally we would have. And then, of course, we've been in each other's weddings. And Donna Walker is the godmother of my younger son, and I'm the godmother of her son. It's really cool. That is so cool. You know, I, I think that is a takeaway for our listeners that if you don't have a squad, think through of who those people could be and how you build those relationships. Because like you said, it's life stuff. You know, it's the weddings, it's the funerals, it's the graduations, it's the celebrations that really make a difference. And sometimes it's just checking in, you know, or them saying, oh, you really shouldn't wear that outfit, you know, that, that kind of thing. So anyway, thank you so much for sharing that. Well, today here in Iowa, it is a very cold day, below zero temperatures. But I know for you, finding time to disconnect and spend time in the beauty of nature is really important. And one of the things that you shared with me over the years is your love of this magical place in Mystic, Connecticut. And John and I, my husband and I, were actually fortunate to go up there in July one year. And I have to say, I think in Mystic, Connecticut, at your cottage, I saw some of the most beautiful hydrangeas ever. They were the bluest blue and also had some amazing seafood up there, lobster and clams and all that. So can you tell me a little bit more about this beautiful, magical place and what it means to you? I would love to. Um, the cottage is in this little enclave called Latimer Point, and it's between a Mystic and Stonington, Connecticut, right on the shore. We 
bought a cottage there in 99 from cousins whose uncle had built several of the cottages in this little 70 cottage community. I thought my brother was crazy when he said, you know what, the Burdicks want to sell the cottage and we should buy it. I just didn't seem, I lived in Virginia at the time. We had just adopted our two boys. My, my brother was in the Coast Guard. He worked in Mobile at the time and had no idea where he was going to be sent next. But we did it. He has two girls. I have the two boys. And they're reasonably close in age. And all eight of us could stay at the cottage, a little crowded with one bathroom, but we made it, it made it cozy. And as if you asked my sons today at 22 and 25, where they wanted to go on vacation, it's the cottage. It is everything you described, you know, it is on the water, but it's a protected part of the Atlantic Ocean. So there's not big crashing waves. Um, the kids were very safe when they were there, whether that was to go into the water, which was always too cold to swim in, or ride their bikes or play at the field, you know, whatever. So they could really be kids, which unfortunately today, especially living in a city like Arlington near D.C., you don't let your kids go very far out of your sight until they get to be, you know, well-established teenagers. And then you still have your moments of fear and anxiety. So so it is a beautiful place, but I'll tell you that I've actually um, taken that one step further, and this is so unlike me that I have to uh, share it with your listeners. I took August 2018 off. Wow. Yep. I had been in my position for 15, 16 years and talked through that with my board. They were to totally supportive because at best I've taken two weeks, but I haven't done that very often. So I did spend a, a good amount of that time in Mystic, but not completely. I, but most of the time was at the side of the ocean, whether that was in Portland, Maine, or in Mystic, or in Massachusetts on the Cape. And I strongly encourage your listeners to find a time in their life when that's a, a possibility, because it was just the perfect amount of time to unplug. I reestablished my habit of reading for pleasure, which had long been lost, like in pharmacy school. Spent time with family and friends and just, just relaxed. Oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds like, a, like it was almost like a reset for you. Yes, I think that's a good term for it. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I also think when you talked about the decision with your brother about buying the place, that sometimes you have these little like inklings or ideas and you know, you got to trust your gut and go for it. And clearly, as your boys have described, if that's their favorite place to go on vacation, you definitely have made the right decision there. Absolutely. No question about it. Well, that's really cool. Well, you know, the, the one thing that we've touched on in different ways throughout our conversation today was about as a national leader in pharmacy, you've always made it a point to mentor others. And I shared that you've mentored me. You've spent time with student pharmacists and generally giving back, that's a real passion of yours. Can you share a little bit with me about paying it forward? Yes, and this is the perfect opportunity to say that with me today is Michael Murphy, recently finished his term as national president of APHA ASP, and now a resident doing a leadership rotation here in town. So, Michael, welcome. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So he's just here today finding out what AACP is and does, uh, because we're going to recruit him into an academic position when he's finished. Ooh, love but anyway, so, you know, I wouldn't be in my office here in Arlington today if I hadn't had, as I mentioned in the introduction, such a rich assortment of 
pharmacy leaders who were willing to extend a hand, sit down and visit, offer me advice and opportunities. I mean, I just uh, such a rich opportunity for me from my very first year as a pharmacy student. I think it's a natural response to that to want to offer some of those same opportunities to the rising leaders of today and tomorrow. I'm so pleased that around the APHA board table now are some of my kids, some of the people who, when I was on the staff there, were national leaders, um, chapter leaders, who also understand that, you know, continuing to stay involved, looking up for help, reaching back to offer people encouragement and assistance. And it's it's not a job. I get as much out of each one of those relationships and encounters as I hope they're taking in return. I had a great opportunity. I've been mentoring a, a faculty member from the University of Maryland since she was a resident in Virginia. And we meet for breakfast occasionally midway. And she walked into Panera at our last meeting this month uh, carrying this big bouquet of tulips, bulbed tulips that were bright yellow with this blue fabric-covered pot and a note that simply said, thank you for your time and attention. And that just, you know, the yellow tulips warmed the winter dull and um, our friendship just enhances my life in ways that's it's hard to describe. So if you don't have a mentor, listeners, um, you are truly missing something. And if you haven't found the opportunity to mentor somebody else, don't wait another minute because there are plenty of people out there who would like to learn from you and with you about how to advance their career. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I think having a mentor is really important and you can learn so much and continue to grow and stretch. And then I think serving as a mentor I found meeting with students and um, residents and, you know, serving as a mentor, I learned so much from, from them too. So it, like you said, it's a really rewarding experience and um, it's never too late to start. So thank you. I think that was a really cool. And Michael, we're thrilled that you're here with us today and look forward to following your career and learning more about the awesome things that you're going to continue to do. So shifting gears a little bit, Lucinda, I would say that you definitely embody Brene Brown, what she describes as wholehearted living. And let's just talk for a few minutes about any final advice you'd like to share with our listeners. Sure. And for those that don't know the work of Brene Brown, this was one of the gifts of my August off. I learned of her. She's a uh, doctorally prepared social worker at the University of Houston. And go on YouTube, you'll find uh, a number of her TED Talks. But one of, one of the books I've read most recently is The Gifts of Imperfection. And the heart of that book is this notion of wholehearted living. She's brutally honest about her own shortcomings and how she works hard to um, understand how she can change to live a wholehearted life. The keys to that are three C's, courage, connectedness, and Oh, I'm going to pause here because the third C is not coming. Is it compassion? Compassion, thanks. The three C's are courage, compassion, and connectedness. And this actually is the heart of my Remington address, and I won't say anything more about that. But through her writings, Brene really talks about some of the things that are so important. Clearly, she's passionate about her work, her research, understanding people 
and what makes them work. She's a mom married uh, with uh, two children, two young adult children, I guess now. Before she understood the gifts of imperfection, she attempted to be a perfectionist. And finding the balance between work, life, family, when you hold yourself to an unrealistic standard is impossible. And so I've begun to think about that as work-life integration versus balance. You know, I had my career actually pretty well established before I met Dan Albrand, um, a pharmacist, now pastor in a United Methodist Church. And we were married for 10 years before we adopted our boys on, in 1997 from Russia. And so now they've been home for over 20 years. You know, life is messy. Um, life is busy. Two people working full-time with children is kind of hard, and it takes balancing and counterbalancing from time to time. You know, and so, for instance, when Dan decided to leave pharmacy uh, and follow the spiritual pathway that had been slowly evolving through our work in church uh, and the community, you know, we took a step back because he needed to go back to school. He went to seminary at age 50 yeah. uh, and graduated in April of uh, May of, of 2017. And he was never going to be a pastor. That's not why he was going to seminary. He might have been a chaplain. He wanted to do some other things. Well, now he's pastoring two rural Methodist churches in Madison, Virginia. And so I'm a pastor's wife. Go figure that, huh? Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's really good. But, you know, I really do think and I encourage people who don't feel passionate about what they're doing to take stock of that. You know, you alluded to a bit um, that there are so many opportunities to put our pharmacy education and skills to good use. I know it's hard for people who've been taught that, you know, you're either going to go in community or you're going to go in hospital. But that is so limited in comparison to the many opportunities. I marvel when I'm looking at LinkedIn after I've connected with somebody and they're a pharmacist, but their titles are so diverse and so fascinating. I really encourage people to just go in and wander in that space and find out all of the things that pharmacists are doing and then pursue their passion to the very best of their ability uh, because life's too short to work if you're not working on something you're really passionate about. And then that hopefully helps you enter into really good, strong, healthy relationships and work in your community because there are so many unmet social service needs in our communities today. You know, Lucinda, I very much appreciate that you reflected about perfection and went to pharmacy school. The idea of getting it right or 100% accuracy is so important related to patient safety for sure. But then I think that also can bleed into other areas of your life where either impossible or extremely high standards can be put in place. And, you know, not everything needs to be done at that level. Some things can be good enough. So those concepts that you shared, you know, related to courage, connectedness, and compassion for ourselves and for others is really important. And I know that I, for sure, look forward to hearing more about those three areas that you're going to talk about in your Remington address. So thank you for reflecting that. And to our listeners, I think the idea of just cutting yourself a break a little bit, and then also just trying to be clear about what your passion is, and then how you can do that to share and make a difference in the world. Well, you know, as um, we're getting to be wrapping up, is there anything else you'd like to share with others or common in the spirit of Zeta Cooper? The most passionate activities I'm pursuing right now, the public does not understand what pharmacists are able to provide them, um, no matter where those pharmacists might be working and where they might 
encounter their patients and their colleagues. So AACP has taken the leadership in planning and implementing the first national meaningful public-facing campaign to help change that and help the American public really appreciate that pharmacists do more than simply provide them their prescriptions. It's called Pharmacists for Healthier Lives Campaign, and it's not just AACP's campaign. We have four other national association and five state association partners working with us and are in uh, intense conversations with a variety of foundations and corporations to make sure that we're able to grow and sustain the campaign. People can find that on pharmacistforhealthierlives.org, and I encourage them to do so, to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and on Instagram, and then spread the word and uh, do all of those other things. All of the messages for the campaign are found on that URL that I just mentioned. We're hoping to influence mostly the chief medical officers of the American family, that would be women between the ages of 35 and 55, as well as caregivers, because those people need pharmacists more than anybody else. Wow, thank you so much for sharing about that campaign. You know, I was struck by a couple things. One is the importance of collaboration and organizations working together. So I think it was really important to note that it's multiple national organizations and state organizations that are working on this campaign because together one plus one equals three. So that's super exciting. And then I think also just raising awareness related to accessibility that, you know, healthcare is so important, but if people don't have access to it or know about it. So I'm, I'm looking forward. I've, I've actually seen the video and have done some knowledge, have some knowledge related to the campaign, but looking forward to diving into it a little bit more. And I just wanted to say that you're picking up accessibility is exactly what the research that underpins the campaign has affirmed, that accessible is our trump card with the American public. That's great. Well, and, you know, I, I, I do think that we're aware, you know, where pharmacies are. And then as you look at our population, too, about populations that are in more rural locations, they're usually still, even in remote areas, is access to a pharmacist or a pharmacist somewhere. So I think that's super important. So you had shared with me um, just now in talking about the campaign, some of the social media connections. And I know our listeners would be very interested in following you or learning more about you. So can you tell me how they can find you on social media? I'm on LinkedIn and I'm also a, a Twitter person. Uh, just put Lucinda Main into the search for search field and you'll find me or, or do it through AACP as well. And those are mine. I'm not an Instagrammer yet. Perfect. Those are great. Well, Lucinda, we are winding down on the inaugural podcast and I just want to humbly and sincerely say thank you. And there's been so many moments in my career, in my life that you celebrated with me at my wedding, with my husband, a personal and professional achievements and accomplishments. And it's been big things and little things. I think about the lunches that we had together. Um, we, like, we would go to this place called The Landing in Virginia. I also think about your calm, steady talk of whatever is going on, that this too shall pass and how much I appreciated that. So I just want to say I look forward to celebrating with you in Seattle. Count me in for you know being part of the large cheering squad and that catching up with you is um, such a treat. Thanks, Melissa. It's been a real privilege. Thanks.